Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Rohde. Today is the 12th of January 2022 and the 10th day of the Hebrew month of Shvat. And these are news from the Torah. This week we're reading a very special Torah portion, the Torah portion of Bishalach, in which we will read about the splitting of the Red Sea and the song of deliverance that the Jewish people sing after the splitting of the sea. Our sages say that the Egyptians mounted an onslaught onto the Jewish people. Stuck between the Egyptian onslaught and the sea, the Jews panicked and screamed to God, but God said, don't scream to me. Go, go into the sea. And the leader of the tribe of Judah, Nechshon ben Aminadav, jumped into the sea, and when the water reached his neck, the sea split and the Jews went into the sea and were delivered. And of course, the sea then closed onto the Egyptians and drowned them. These days in Israel, we also feel an onslaught. We feel an onslaught on our Jewish values. We feel an onslaught on the religious status quo, on the religious fabric of the society in Israel, on all the overt signs of Judaism in Israel's public sphere. And we also feel an onslaught on our connection to the land of Israel, with the government trying to dismantle the yeshiva in Chomish and legalizing tens of thousands of illegal Bedouin settlements, thus effectively splitting Israel into two countries, the Negev and northern Israel. So on today's show, we'll talk about this onslaught and our values and our connection to the land of Israel. We'll talk about the Bennett's government inefficient and destructive policies that are cutting us off from our heart and from our heartland. We'll also talk about the fact that it will not help them. Because just like the Jews of the generation of the Exodus, we will prevail. And we will sing a song of deliverance. We have our tambourines ready, just like Miriam and the women who went out after her. And we will celebrate the victory now, even before it starts. We will also discuss how you can affect Israeli policy and make your voice heard on some of these issues. So stay tuned for more right after these messages. How did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom, I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back. 
In recent weeks, Israel's Cabinet Secretary Shalom Shlomo has been holding a series of meetings to bring to fruition the so-called Kotel Compromise. This plan would partition the Western Wall, establish a plaza for mixed prayer in violation of the millennia-old tradition, and transfer control over parts of the Western Wall to the Israeli Reform and Conservative movements. Every person of every religion and denomination is welcome to pray at the Western Wall. Like every religious site, it has a tradition and custom that need to be respected. Yet the Israeli government is acting under the assumption that it needs to change the Kotel Plaza to repair the rift between Israel and the diaspora. Over the past several years, liberal movement leaders have consistently sent a message to the Israelis that they are the ones who represent the majority of world Jewry and that their constituents feel left out and slighted by the religious status quo in Israel and by the so-called Orthodox monopoly on religion. This narrative is patently false. It conveniently ignores the emerging trends and forces in the diaspora. And therefore, the codal compromise that this narrative fuels is not only misguided, but downright dangerous. First of all, the reformer conservative leaders do not represent diaspora Jews. While various self-reporting population studies suggest that the liberal movements account for just over half of American Jews, between three and three and a half million people, these numbers are misleading. The World Union of Progressive Judaism, the umbrella organization of the reform movement, on its site boasts 1.2 million members worldwide. This number has been downgraded from 1.8 million just a few months ago. Apparently, the reform movement has hemorrhaged a third of its membership in the recent years. The conservative movement is estimated to have approximately 600,000 members. The two movements together account for about 10% of the global Jewish community, an important minority, but not a representative voice certainly not the kind of voice that would allow for a change in the 1,500-year prayer tradition at the Kotel. Also, both movements expecting a rapid implosion, closing a quarter of the synagogues over the past two decades. This is mostly due to the loss of the younger generation. Today, only one in three millennials identifies with the reform or conservative movement as opposed to two out of three people in the generation of their grandparents. Secondly, the religion and state issues are not the basis of any rift between Israel and the diaspora. Anyone familiar with on-the-ground reality understands that the distancing of certain parts of diaspora Jewry from Israel is in no way caused by Israel's policy at the Kotel or its religious status quo. Rather, it stems from the disconnect from the Jewish identity that these Jews themselves feel. The Pew study shows a clear correlation between the depth of Jewish observance and affinity for Israel. On almost all questions of connection, self-identified Orthodox respondents show a higher degree of connection than the conservative, the conservative higher than the reform, and the reform higher than the unaffiliated. 
the more connected you are to your Judaism, the more of your Judaism that you observe, the more connected you are to Israel. The connection between Israel and Jewish observance are two-pronged relationship that cannot be disconnected. So no amount of policy changes in Israel will bring large swath of diaspora Jews closer to Israel. Only a massive investment in Jewish education and identity programming can bring young diaspora Jews to once again identify with Israel. There are no shortcuts. There are no zbang ways to get this over with. The only way to bring Jews back to Israel is to make sure that they connect to who they are, to their Jewish heritage. Thirdly, the idea that partitioning the Kotel will boost the connection between diaspora Jews and Israel is fundamentally false. Close to 60% of American Jews belong to the belonging to the liberal movements have never set foot in Israel. Another 20% have visited here once in their lifetime. Yes, only 20% of American liberal Jews have been in Israel more than once during their life. And more than that, the Pew study shows that those who self-identify with the reform movement simply do not visit synagogues. 85% of them visit their own temple a few times a year, or not at all. Almost 50% of Reformed Jews do not set foot in their own synagogues. If the vast majority of those whom the Reform leaders claim to represent cannot be bothered to attend their neighborhood temple, nor make a trip to Israel, it is hard to believe that changes in the prayer tradition of the Kotel would foster deep emotional ties to the Holy Land. Simply put, if you don't pray back home, and if you don't come to Israel, but what right exactly can you demand changes at the Kotel, where millions of Jews pray according to a millennia-old tradition? It just doesn't work this way. Finally, the damage inherent in the deal is enormous. Not only will it not repair anything, it will actually destroy the relationship between Israel and those Jewish communities who feel a great deal of affinity for Israel. The deal will drive significant parts of world Jewry away, specifically those communities who have been historically most loyal and invested in Israel. The balkanization of the place that is so holy and dear for all of us, and the violation of the ages-old prayer tradition, will send a clear message to these communities that the state of Israel has given up on our sacred values and mutual bonds. Over the past year, I've been heading the Israel office of Amichad, an organization dedicated to promoting Jewish identity and the connection between Israel and the diaspora. In recent weeks, our office has been inundated with emails and calls from Jews from all over the world, asking how they can notify the Israeli government of their opposition to the partitioning of the Kotel. Over and over and over again, we've been asked how we can organize a petition drive and let a sending campaign to let Prime Minister Bennett and his ministers understand that the world Jewish community does not support the partitioning of the Kotel. 
the Israelis are claiming to be having them move in the name of the diaspora jury, but the diaspora jury is actually not interested. Not only is it not interested, it opposes the move. These voices have led us to start a petition drive, and we're expecting to submit hundreds of thousands of letters to the Israeli leaders in the coming weeks with the opposition of diaspora Jews who do not want to see the Kotel partitioned. If you feel the same way, if you want to preserve the sanctity of the Kotel, I urge you to go to www.onekotel, this is one word, onekotel.org, and sign the petition. You can also create a team for your city, your synagogue, your school, your community, and ask other people to sign up as well. We're expecting to get hundreds of thousands of, of uh, signatures from all over the world. And this is the only way we can let the Israeli leadership know that the diaspora jury does not want to split the kotel. The continued unity of our people and the connection between the Jewish communities in Israel is on the line. Not only will the deal do nothing to bring the various Jewish communities together, but on the contrary, it will deepen the rift and distance Jews from Israel and from each other. The Kotel is the heart of the Jewish people. Despite the differences between us, we're all united around the Kotel. In front of its stones, we're inspired by our nation's millennia-old tradition and history. The partitioning of the Kotel will eternalize the division among the Jewish people, quite literally setting it in stone. We cannot let that happen. We cannot let that happen on our watch. We cannot let the Israeli government set in stone the separation of different Jewish communities one from the other. In the United States, there's a populist saying, a family that prays together stays together. A people that prays together stays together. But if we cannot pray together, if we need separate plazas for different Jews, that means that we cannot be one people anymore. The Kotel is probably the last symbol that unites us all. If we partition it, balkanize it, and devise it, that means that we're divorcing a huge percentage of Jews from the mainstream. These Jews will be lost to the Jewish people, and we're setting this in stone with architecture. So if you oppose this move, once again, I urge you to go to www.onekotel.org, sign a petition to Prime Minister Bennett, or set up a team and get other people in your town, in your community to sign. This is extremely important and will send a strong message to the Israeli government what the diaspora jury actually wants. Don't let them act in your name. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 
This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany is but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Welcome back. In recent weeks, the Israeli government through the civil administration in Judea and Samaria has been trying to tear down the yeshiva in Chomish. Chomish was a community that was set up in the Samaria in the most northern part of Samaria in 1980. Unfortunately, in 2005, as part of the disengagement from Gaza, a few communities in northern Samaria were dismantled as well. One of them was Chomish. There were 70 people living in the community at the time, and all of them were displaced from their homes. In 2009, a group of people set up a yeshiva in Chomish as a way of creating a Jewish presence in this area. The yeshiva prevents the Arabs from taking over the area of taking over northern Samaria, the part that is closest to Israel. On December 16th of this year, just a month ago, an Arab terrorist murdered Yehuda Dimitman of blessed memory. Yehuda Dimitman was a student in Chomish. He was only 24 years old, and he left a wife and a nine-month-old baby. The proper response to this terrorist attack should have been a creation of a community in Chomish, a creation of few communities, in fact, the only proper response to terrorism is to spite it, to show it how it is counterproductive, how killing one Jew will bring dozens of Jewish families and a creation of a new community. But instead, this government has decided to reward terrorism. Instead of setting up a new Jewish community, it has been tearing down the yeshiva in Chomish, taking away their vital equipment, locking the gates and not letting yeshiva students enter the place, creating a huge hole in the road leading up to Chomish so that no car can pass. A week after the murder of Yudhid Dimitment, tens of thousands of Israelis showed up in solidarity with Chomish to assert that they see a future for Chomish. Each person was asked to take five rocks and throw into that big hole in the road. And within a few hours, the hole was filled up to the brim, stone by stone, from the Israelis that came to show solidarity. But this was not enough. And in the months since Judah Dimitman's murder, the civil administration, which is the army government in Judea and Samaria, has been making the life of the Chomish Yeshiva miserable, set at destroying the place and driving the students away. And this is just one example of how this government is fulfilling Islamist policy. Also last week, the government has passed the so-called electricity law. The electricity law will connect 
tens of thousands of illegal bedouin houses to electricity, de facto legalizing them. These houses are spread over one million dunam. It's a huge area, as big as the area from Netanya to Ashkelon, and it will cut Israel in half by legalizing illegal Bedouin settlements in northern Negev. The government literally cuts off the southern Negev, half of the country, from its northern part. The same law, by the way, was supposed to legalize also illegal Jewish settlements throughout Judea and Samaria. But this law unconstitutionally decided to show favoritism to Bedouin and punish the Jews. So if illegal Bedouin settlements can be connected to electricity, how come the students in Chomish cannot come and have a yeshiva there? How come the government destroys not only housing, but even tents? This inconsistent policy can only show that the government has capitulated to the far left, to the Muslim Brotherhood element in the government. And it shows who is really in power. After the passing of the electricity law, the opposition booed Prime Minister Bennett. One of the ideologues of the Knesset, Orit Struk, who is the resident of Hebron, who has been accompanying Bennett on all of his trips and visits to Judea and Samaria, who was the one to take him to the communities where he promised to connect them to electricity, the Jewish communities, who took him to the communities where he promised to legalize Jewish settlements. She walked over to Bennett and said, how could you? The people in Judea and Samaria, the people who are settling the land, they elected you to the government. They brought you here. You're sitting on their votes. How could you betray them? And the only thing that Bennett has to say was, get out of my face. Get out of my face. This is what Bennett has to say to the Jewish people. Get out of my face. When he feels entitled to connect the Bedouin to electricity, to legalize battle settlements, but he doesn't feel entitled to connect Jews to electricity. And as some commentators have said, Bennett is really powerless. He looks to his right and to his left. Oh, actually, mainly to his left and to his left. And he sees every single one of the parties in his government getting what they want. The Islamist Trump party has received $15 billion in government money for its purposes. Merits, the ultra-left party, is meeting its goals with anti-religious agenda and anti-religious legislation. Victor Lieberman, the head of the also anti-religious party for Russian speakers, is meeting his goals with the same anti-religious agenda and anti-religious legislation. Everybody in the government is getting what they want. The only person who's not getting what he wants is Bennett, because actually the only thing Bennett wanted was the chair of the prime minister. And now he sits on this chair. He's powerful, powerless. He cannot pass any legislation. His um, colleague, Ayelichik Head, who is currently the minister of the interior, 
tried to pass citizenship law that would prevent the infiltration of Israel by Islamist families being reunited. But her legislation was struck down. Yamina is a six-person party with a figure prime minister who cannot pass any legislation. And so, yes, Bennett is angry, and he's telling us to get out of his face. But actually, maybe we should tell him to get out of our face, because his policies are an assault on everything that we hold dear. Bennett's policies are an assault on the Jewish nature of the state of Israel. Bennett's policies are an assault on the Jewish presence in the land of Israel. Bennett's policies are an assault on the Jewish majority of Israelis who want this to be a Jewish state, not an Islamist state. Bennett's policies are an assault on the economy of Israel. Was every single item in supermarkets, in stores, out on the market getting more and more expensive? And with hundreds of thousands of people being laid off or staying home because of a silent lockdown, Unlike Benjamin Netanyahu, who established a lockdown, but then gave people money so they could survive financially, this government has not announced a lockdown. It just created an effective lockdown by quarantining everybody who is sick or who came in contact with a sick person, but without announcing an effective lockdown. It doesn't feel like it has to pay anybody anything. And so hundreds of thousands of families struggling financially in a double bind of rising prices and no income. Bennett's government has assaulted the medical freedom of 5 million Israelis, when it is quite clear that the vaccines are not epidemiologically effective, when they do not prevent the spread of the disease. Bennett's government continues to insist on the Green Pass and passing it on in places where it just does not help. Changing policy twice, three times, four times every week that people can no longer follow the policy and with everything descending into chaos. So maybe instead of us getting out of Bennett's face, he should get out of our face. In just six months, he has shown himself to be ineffective and powerless in the face of all the needs and all the pressing matters on Israel's agenda. A year ago, the present Minister of Religion, Matan Kahana, posted a tweet in which he told Benjamin Netanyahu, Bibi, move over. In just two months, Bennett will show you how to manage a plague. Well, Bibi did move over, and Bennett took over. It's been six months from now, and a country that was well-managed well-run, and enjoyed stability, has descended into chaos in every single direction. Our sages say that only one-fifth of the Jewish people left Egypt. Chamushim. Chamushim means one-fifth. Chomish also means one-fifth. It is only one-fifth of Israelis, it's one-fifth of the Jews, who understand what the true ideology is, who understand the true direction that we should be following. Chomish is the test of this government, of this society, and we cannot let it fall. We cannot let it fall again. 
Stay tuned for our last segment after these messages. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. day of the month of Shvat, and this day marks the day on which the Lubavitcher Rebbe assumed the leadership of the Hasidic movement over 60 years ago. On this day, he walked into a gathering of Hasidim and started saying a ma'amar, a Hasidic discourse, which marks the assumption of leadership by a Hasidic Rebbe. I want to share one message that the Rebbe had shared throughout his lifetime that is so relevant to our days and our reality today. When the Rebbe assumed the leadership in the early 1950s, the Jewish observant community in America was in a siege mentality. It was hemorrhaging members by the day. Its young people were leaving. And observant Jews in America were only concerned with one thing, preservation, preserving their way of life, pulling up tall walls to make sure that nobody leaves. But the Rebbe had a different approach. The Rebbe's approach was that we have to go out and share the heritage of the Jewish people, share the Torah with Jews throughout. Instead of erecting tall walls and being primarily preoccupied with preservation. We should be occupied with spreading the message of the Torah and sharing it with those Jews who are not fortunate to get a Jewish education. Thus was born the Rebbe's Emissary Project, which was actually started by his predecessor, the Sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rayats. The Rebbe sent out emissaries to many different cities throughout the United States and to other countries in Europe and in Australia. And it was a new approach. It was, in fact, so new that many Hasidim did not want to be part of it, that many parents did not want their kids, their newly married kids, to go out into the wilderness. The, very was, the Rebbe was quite upset and annoyed at this. He said, how can it be that a young man who had studied in Lubavitch Yeshiva or an older man who had studied in Rabavitch Yeshiva, do not understand the importance of sharing our heritage with the others, to the extent that they're not going out into the field, or they're preventing their kids from going out into the field. It took quite a few years for the Rebbe to explain his approach to his followers, and to get them excited and motivated. But once he did, the floodgates opened. And at first tens and then hundreds and then thousands of Chabad emissaries 
spread out into the world. Today, Chabad has over three and a half thousand centers around the world, and there are hundreds of newlywed couples who come to Brooklyn every week in search of a new mission for themselves because the whole movement has been educated not to pull up walls, not to look at their own benefit, but to go out into the field and share the love and the beauty of Judaism with their fellow Jews. So just like in this weekly Parsha, when the Jewish people saw themselves being attacked by the Egyptians, the way out was not by fighting, but it was breaking through the barrier. It was walking through the water, jumping into the sea with self-abandon, and then seeing how that sea split. And this is a central message of Judaism. We don't make anything happen. It is not by the might of our hand that things happen in the world. It is not by the might of our hand that we create accomplishments. It is by our connection to God and by understanding that we are only messengers of his will and then jumping with self-abandon into the challenge, understanding that we're doing God's will and he will be with us and he will guide us. This is how we make challenges go away. This is how we split the sea. This is how we can go up against any boundary, against anything that stops us on our way to the promised land. At the Red Sea, after the splitting of the sea, the Jewish people sang a song of deliverance to God. But after the Jewish people sang the song to God, the Jewish women, led by Miriam, went out and sang a song of their own. Our sages say that Miriam believed that the Jewish people would be delivered. She had a perfect faith in God's ability to deliver us and redeem us and bring us to the promised land. So much so that in the haste of leaving Egypt, where they did not even have the time to take provisions, Miriam and other women took their tambourines, their musical instruments, because they knew that they would need them to celebrate. How can you have a celebration without music? So they had their head and their heart in the right place. And they understood that the most important thing is to have the spirit. And for the spirit, we need music, we need encouragement, we need inspiration. And so they took the tambourines with them. And after the splitting of the Red Sea, all of the Jewish women went out and sang a song together with Miriam. Ma'or Vashamish, a fundamental Hasidic master from 250 years ago, says that in Moshe's song of men, it says, As Yeshir, I will then sing. Whereas Miriam's song starts with, Shiru Hashem, sing to Hashem. Ma'or Mishabish explains that Miriam at that moment understood the prophetic vision of the Messianic time. Standing on the shore of the Red Sea, the women of the Jewish people saw what it means to be delivered by God. They understood the prophetic vision of the Messianic time, that God runs everything in the world. But the men of the Jewish people did not see that then. They knew that a time would come, and so they said, I will sing when I will see it. But the women said, sing now because now we see it. And the Lubavitch Rebbe says that that power to see deliverance of God, that power 
to see the power of God, that power to be connected to God in every single situation, in every single difficulty, has been accompanying every single Jewish woman throughout the generations. When the Torah says that all of the Jewish women went out to sing with Miriam, he says it's literally all of the Jewish women, not only of their generation, but in every single generation, all of the Jewish women to ever lived were there singing together with Miriam, saying, sing to God, let's sing because we can see the power of God. We can see how God is accompanying us, delivering us, redeeming us, helping us, holding us, guiding us in every single situation. So we can sing. Yes, for men, it will take some time to see that, but we can see that today, or we can celebrate that today. So on this show today, we've been talking about many challenges that are facing the Israeli society. There is an assault, an onslaught on the Jewish fabric of the Israeli society. There are people out there who don't want this to be a Jewish state. They want it to be a state of all its citizens. There are people out there who are set on making sure that there is nothing special about Israel. There are people out there who are fighting to ensure that Israel can never be the light onto the nations. Because if we don't live our values, and if Israel is not a specifically Jewish state, then what kind of purpose does it serve? What makes it different from France or Germany or England or the United States? So yes, the people out there working in a very determined fashion to secularize Israel and dilute its Jewish character. And then there are people out there who are working very hard to ensure that Israel does not have the ability to settle the land of Israel. There is a war going on with Islamists and Palestinians trying to take over a large swath of the land of Israel and to prevent the Israelis from settling it. And unfortunately, the Israelis are working with their hands tied behind their back because this government and previous governments really are set on not letting Jews settle the land of Israel. But it is not going to help them. No matter what kind of onslaught you mount on Judaism and on Jewish values and on the Jewish connection with the land of Israel, we will prevail. Just like the Egyptians who launched an onslaught onto the Jews could not win because God was on our side. And when we jumped into the sea, when the Jews jumped into the sea and with self-abandon showed their commitment to God and his values, God split the Red Sea. The same will happen this time. No matter what kind of onslaught they mount on our values and on our connection to the land of Israel and the Torah of Israel, we will prevail. We will continue to fight to ensure that Israel stays a Jewish state, that Israel lives its Jewish values, that Israel can shine its Jewish values to every society around us. We will be determined, and no matter what kind of price we have to pay, we will stick with the program. And therefore, we can sing today, despite the challenges, despite the difficulties, we can take out our tambourines and sing, sing to God, because he will deliver us. Sing to God today, because we know that he will redeem us. 
sing to God because we know that he will bring us to the promised land. And in the end, Israel forever will be a beautiful Jewish state, pronouncing its internal values and shining like a beacon of light to the entire world when these values will be adopted by every single nation and every single person, pronouncing the unity of God. Thank you so much for joining me on this show. I hope that it was helpful to you, and I hope that it gave you strength in the challenges that you are facing. And I wish all of us to have the strength and the faith to pass through our own tests of splitting the sea. I will see you next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye now. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 